Welcome to the Gut Podcast. I'm Mary McLean. I work as Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland in the UK. And recently I've been appointed to the Education Editor for Gut. And part of this role would be to host the Gut Podcast on a monthly basis. Today I'm delighted to welcome Professor Mark Hull to discuss his paper entitled Omega-3 Polyunsaturated Fatty Acids for the Treatment and Prevention of Colorectal Cancer. This has been selected as the editor's choice from the January edition of GUT and the focus of this podcast today. Professor Hull is a professor of molecular gastroenterology in the Leeds Institute of Molecular Medicine at the University of Leeds in England. His main research interest focuses on the molecular mechanisms of colorectal carcinogenesis to identify potential targets for treatment and chemo prevention. He has particular interest in the use of polyunsaturated fatty acids in this capacity and has published extensively on this topic. So welcome today, Professor Hull. Um, to start, can you just briefly explain to us the definition of a polyunsaturated fatty acid and their biological role in health? Yeah, I'll, well, thanks, Mary. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity to explain the work that's been going on with these, uh, important, uh, this important set of, of molecules. I mean, fatty acids are very simply uh, carbon chains with a, a carboxyl or uh, acidic group on one end and a, and a methyl group on the other. And the reason why they're polyunsaturated um, is that they've got lots of double bonds between the, the carbons. And I always think of it as the distinction, the physicochemical distinction between saturated and polyunsaturated fatty acids as being the saturated acids are solid at room temperature like animal fats and the polyunsaturated fatty acids are liquid at room temperature because the molecules are much more flexible. So that's why the, the name is such a, a mouthful because there's lots of double bonds in the molecules. And because they're fatty acids, they incorporate into the natural cellular membranes throughout the body. And because of that, they have a, a, a large number of, of, of roles in, in health and disease, we, we believe. And many of you will be aware that uh, there's interest in polyunsaturated fatty acids in cardiology and rheumatology, uh, perhaps in uh, neurology as well, uh, uh, apart from gastroenterology. So, so they, they likely have uh, a, a large number of important roles. Okay, thanks very much for that. Um, certainly, these agents have been found to exert an anti-neoplastic activity, and that's what we're going to talk about today with specific emphasis on the colon. So through what mechanisms have they been shown to exert this effect? Yeah, I mean, I, this is, uh, you know, despite um, several decades of work on, on, on how the, these molecules might have anti-cancer activity, it's still pretty much unclear. And I, I suppose the majority of the researchers in the field believe uh, that they, they inhibit the, the COX enzymes. Um, so uh, a lot of people will, will know already that, that cyclooxygenase or COX enzymes, as I'll call them, it's a bit easier to say, um, uh, are important in, 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 in uh, development of several cancers, including uh, colorectal cancer. And that's a, that's a really big uh, area of research with uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, they incorporate into cellular membranes. So other people believe that their, their main uh, mode of action is by interfering with the membrane dynamics, perhaps of receptors important for carcinogenesis, such as the epidermal growth factor receptor. 
And I also mentioned that there are lots of double bonds in these molecules, and that means that they, they're, they're highly oxidizable and that they generate a lot of oxidative stress, which many people will, will already know uh, induces apoptosis or cell death of cancer cells. So there's, there, are, there are several different mechanisms proposed. And, and another one that's, that's just uh, very topical in the news is that there are actually uh, fatty acid receptors on the surface of many cells, mainly immune cells. And it's been shown that two of the main polyunsaturated fatty acids, so that's EPA and DHA, uh, both activate uh, a receptor called GPR120. And there's a lot of excitement about whether they work through that uh, that receptor. So, so all in all, not clear at the moment, um, but several lines of inquiry in, in some exciting fields. Okay, well that leads me nicely on to the next question, which really focuses on the stromal epithelial cell interaction, which we now know is important in the pathogenesis of cancers at many different sites and also in the colon. Um, certainly there's a growing body of evidence displaying inflammatory cell infiltrate in pre-malignant colonic polyps. And do you think that the fatty acids exert any effect on inflammatory cells per se um, at this stage? And is it through these uh, cell surface receptors that, that their mechanistic effects are seen? Uh, yeah, it could well be. You'll know, and I'll let the uh, people listening to this know that uh, you know I have had a long-standing interest in stromal epithelial cell signaling. So you might you might call me biased, but I do believe that that's a likely important. Uh, mechanism and one that's been you know relatively uh, understudied in the in the past 10 or 20 years and just related to this uh, receptor I was telling you about GPL120 now that's only found on immune cells like macrophages and it's not found actually on colonic epithelial cells or the cancer cells themselves so if it is uh, a target for the anti-cancer activity of of polyunsaturated fatty acids, then that will almost certainly be working through stromal macrophages or other uh, stromal cells. So I think that's a, a, an important hypothesis to test over the next two or three years. Okay, well, let's move on from the molecular mechanisms of action and to discuss now the evidence for the use of these agents in clinical practice and the prevention of colorectal neoplasia. And thinking back to how this concept began, it would appear that the link between dietary omega-3 and 6 polyunsaturated fatty acids and the risk of developing colorectal cancer was first identified through epidemiological-based studies. Um, can you just summarize this for us? Yeah, I mean, I was, um, this all started with the, 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 the now famous observations in Inuit Eskimos in Greenland. Uh, the, I mean, those studies were primarily based on uh, cardiovascular risk, but, 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 but then further analyses suggested that colorectal cancer risk was, was down in that group of individuals who take, take on board an enormous amount of dietary uh, uh, fish-derived polyunsaturated fatty acids, and that's what drove the whole uh, the whole field of research, really. But but it's really interesting because in the, the in the in the multitude of human observational studies that have been done since then, the data has been rather conflicting, um, and there are as many negative studies as there are positive case control or cohort studies, suggesting that 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 either fish or polyunsaturated fatty acid intake in the diet 
is is of benefit in terms of colorectal cancer risk. And so, uh, you know, the the very influential 2007 World Cancer Research Fund, American Institute of Cancer Research um, uh, expert report, you know, was only able to uh, to, to to state that there was limited suggestive evidence of, of benefit. So so all in all, the observational data um, is not great, and there are several explanations for that that I can go into if you want to. Um, yeah, if you want to expand on that briefly, that would be grand. Yeah, I mean, just just very quickly. I mean, I, as many of you will understand that it's very difficult to take accurate dietary histories from people, particularly when you're dependent on 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 memory, um, and so that's an obvious inherent weakness to uh, the epidemiological um, studies, and um, and and so. And I think the other important thing to say is that when we come on to talking about how people like myself have been using EPA and DHA in a so-called nutraceutical format, i.e. in in capsules, um, the amount of fish that you have to naturally take in the diet to mimic those sorts of doses probably equate to 12 to 15 portions of oily fish a week. And you can imagine that in most yeah. populations of the world, no one gets anywhere near that. And I think that's probably an explanation for why the observational data is not very good. But then when we talk about the therapeutic data, the, uh, the, the anti-cancer activity seems to be better. Better, yeah. Well, it's certainly clear that this has been expanded over the last decade or so, and there's now a large number of animal studies investigating the association, um, and that's been outlined in your paper. But would you be able to talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, in complete contrast to the human observational studies, the the, the preclinical studies uh, in 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 rodents have been uh, almost universally consistent, really, in in showing antineoplastic activity, and that's in in, in a variety of models in, in, of mouse and, and rat models uh, using different carcinogens uh, and genetic models. So the data in a whole series of different models is extremely consistent, suggesting a, a 30-40% decrease in colorectal tumor incidence, so a, a really impressive reduction in a whole series of different models. So I think that's really robust, strong evidence um, from those preclinical models that, that the uh, fatty acids do have anti-colorectal uh, cancer activity. Leading on from that, I find it extremely interesting that supplementation with these agents can impact on the development of metastatic disease in mouse models. And can you just speak a little on this for us? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is something that, that my lab have been uh, looking into in the, in, the, in the last year or two, building on uh, I think three three papers, uh, quite old papers now, um, uh, in in mouse models, suggesting that as well as at the early stages of colorectal carcinogenesis, i.e., polyp prevention and and true prevention of colorectal cancer, that the polyunsaturated fatty acids might actually have true anti-cancer activity in the, at a much uh, later later stage. And and in fact, when you look in the literature. Um, there are there are some some preliminary data, not just in colorectal cancer, but also to an extent in in other solid cancers such as breast cancer, suggesting that the polyunsaturated fatty acids might be beneficial um, uh, uh, both for 
uh, uh, treatment of cancer cachexia, but also tolerability of chemotherapy. So there are several lines of inquiry for using these polyunsaturated fatty acids uh, for treatment of cancer, and that's something that, that, that my lab and, and several other groups around the world are currently exploring. Okay, so now, now let's move from all that preclinical data to the clinical data on the use of these agents in the prevention and treatment of colorectal cancer and how that could potentially impact on our daily clinical practice. Um, clearly, there's consideration of efficacy in the primary prevention of colorectal cancer in two distinct patient cohorts, um, the first being those with a high risk of developing the disease, such as patients with genetic syndromes, such as FAP, and then secondly, the impact on sporadic colon cancer in the general population. Um, can you just lead us through the trial evidence for the primary prevention in the first instance? As is quite usual, really, in the development of any uh, uh, colorectal cancer chemopreventative agent, the initial clinical studies have been in, in FAP, familial adenomatous polyposis patients, just because it's, 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 it's relatively easy to do a short-term study in patients who've already had uh, a colectomy and have an ileorectal anastomosis, because those individuals are, are undergoing 6- to 12-month endoscopic surveillance, which makes a relatively short-term interventional trial easy. And, um, and so uh, our, uh, the, the latest randomized control trial uh, that I was involved in uh, studied EPA, one of the main polyunsaturated fatty acids, and its efficacy in FAP patients, and, and showed a reduction in polyp number and polyp size, uh, roughly equivalent to, to, to that which had been shown with uh, celecoxib, the selective COX-2 inhibitor. So, so really exciting uh, preliminary data that uh, uh, EPA, and we gave EPA in that trial in, in the free fatty acid form in a very pure preparation, um, uh, had um, uh, anti-polyp uh, activity. And of course, FAP polyps um, are believed to develop uh, through the same molecular pathogenesis as the majority of so-called sporadic polyps. So usually when efficacy is seen in an FAP trial, then there is there a reasonable leap of faith to suggest or set the hypothesis that the same agent would be beneficial for prevention of sporadic polyps. And that's precisely the step that we've taken. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, I was uh, pleased a couple of weeks ago to, uh, to, to find out that the the, uh, the trial that I'm chief investigator of, called the seafood trial, um, had just recruited its uh, first patient. So this is the equivalent trial, if you like, to the FAP study, a, a double-blind randomized control trial, but this time testing uh, the efficacy of EPA versus placebo um, in patients with uh, sporadic polyps who have been found in the bowel cancer screening program. Okay, and um, if we, we think about primary prevention in the general population um, rather than secondary prevention at this stage, how, how long do you think patients would need to take the supplementation and what age would this need to begin or are these points that will be teased out during the course of your ongoing trial? Yes, I, 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 think, I think so. I think it's too early to, to make any, any, any sort of recommendation. I, I think one, one of the interesting um, features about polyunsaturated fatty acids, which I touched on initially when I was talking through that, that, that chemistry, is that they incorporate very avidly into, into cell membranes. And what, 
So they don't act in a pharmacokinetic or pharmacodynamic way like like small molecule drugs. And so it's it they exhibit very interesting properties. You can give um, polyunsaturated fatty acids for uh, for several weeks. Uh, they'll take maybe two to four weeks to, to, to build up to a maximal level of tissue incorporation and then probably take as long again, if not longer, to uh, uh, decrease uh, the, the tissue level. So I, I think that, that that's a really important field for us to, to now look at and work out whether these agents can be used intermittently, whether there's a period of time in a patient's life when they're uh, when it's best to take them, um, and and that'll be really important to, uh, to to work out. But but I think we've got to to see what the initial efficacy data from the the seafood trial says first before leading on to those more detailed studies. One one of the other points when using these agents clinically in this capacity is that we obviously need to ensure patient safety. And is there any potential problems with the use of these agents for patients? Yeah, um, I, I think this is one of the, the, the big plus points about uh, the polyunsaturated fat, fatty acids because um, they're incredibly safe and, 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 and well tolerated. They have very slight antiplatelet activity um, in the lab, but that's never really been shown to be clinically relevant, even in the presence of other antiplatelet agents such as aspirin or clopidogrel. Um, and the one thing that I neglected to mention uh, when I, I was just talking about the seafood trial is that it's actually a, a two by two factorial trial that involves arms including aspirin and also the combination of aspirin and EPA together. So we're actually testing that formally in a trial, but we believe from the, the vast amount of cardiovascular cardiology literature out there that these agents are safe even in the presence of, even in the presence of aspirin. And, and they're very well tolerated. Uh, as, you'll, as you'll well know, cod liver oil has been used for uh, m many, uh, many decades, if not centuries, as, as a health product. And um, it's well tolerated, and, and any side effects are really uh, very mild uh, indigestion, dyspeptic-type symptoms, and perhaps a little bit of, of diarrhea. So a real plus point for these agents is their uh, safety and tolerability. Okay, um, we've discussed a little bit about um, primary prevention and also touched on a bit about secondary prevention in this new ongoing trial in patients with previous adenomas. But is there any other evidence for the use of these agents in secondary prevention, um, i.e. maybe patients who've previously had a cancer to prevent a recurrence? No, there isn't. And, you know, that's, that's, um, that's something that uh, is, is uh, a really important question to answer. Um, my group have just finished a, a phase two biomarker uh, study of the use of, of EPA um, against placebo in patients who have colorectal cancer liver metastases. And I think if that phase two study shows some interesting biomarker data, then we will have enough evidence along with the animal data that I mentioned a few minutes ago to actually propose a phase three trial where we look at precisely that question does EPA or DHA use actually prevent uh, recurrence of uh, metachronous metastasis or a secondary cancer 
um, after an initial primary cancer. And, uh, and I know those studies are taking place uh, exploring the role of aspirin in that setting, and I think it's an equally valid question to ask for the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Okay, I guess the final consideration in this theme is the use of these agents as a treatment modality in patients with an active diagnosis of overt colonic cancer. And is there any place for PUFAs in the oncological management strategy of these specific patients? Yeah, I'm, I'm, there isn't enough evidence to, to, to state that, although as I, as I, as I mentioned uh, uh, in answer to a previous question, um, there are some uh, there are some data out there that suggest that certain chemotherapeutic regimens are better tolerated in patients taking polyunsaturated fatty acids, and that, that it might actually be uh, beneficial for cancer cachexia. So um, I, I think there's some interesting. Uh, preliminary data that should drive some more studies, but, but certainly it's too early to make any uh, any recommendations. Okay, well, you've taken us uh, through a, a whistle-stop tour of this uh, complicated uh, story, but I want to know what the future holds for this, and, and do you see these agents being part of standard patient care in the chemo prevention or treatment of uh, this disease in the near future? And I guess we've, we've touched on it, but what are the main issues that you think need to be addressed before this happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the you know the reason why um, the the seafood trial got funded is because we're going to answer with it um, the, the, the obviously the primary important question, which is efficacy for sporadic polyp prevention, but also get a, a, a definite answer to the question whether the agents, uh, whether uh, EPA with or without aspirin, is safe and well tolerated. Uh, in patients between 60 and 75, and I think armed with that information and the, the the amount of knowledge that the cardiologists have generated from the use of fish oil in patients post-MI in several of their trials, we really will be in a position to do uh, to do some effectiveness trials. So by effectiveness trials, I mean testing how we best use EPA or another polyunsaturated fatty acid preparation in combination with other surveillance measures such as colonoscopy. So I think that in the near future, uh, yes, chemo prevention will come online, whether it be with EPA or aspirin or a combination, but always in combination with uh, endoscopic surveillance techniques. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm more dubious about the sole use of chemo prevention, but absolutely in high-risk groups who require surveillance anyway, I think there'll be a, a there'll be a, a clinical role for these agents um, worked through and defined um, in the next five to ten years. Well, thanks very much, Professor Hill, for taking the time to discuss this interesting topic with us today. And I think we'll just leave it for there and certainly we'll look forward to hearing the results of your ongoing research. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.